Willst du mehr? Los, Rabe! You like the blues. I mean, you really like the blues. Like we like the blues. Blues Zeppelin brings the blues every other Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5 on Radio Raba. Blue Zeppelin features blues, Zydeco, live guests with musicians, writers, poets, comedians. Working hard to make reality less painful. This is the Blues Zeppelin. Welcome you all to uh, another Blue Zeppelin here on Radio Raba, 95.6 megahertz, on an absolutely gorgeous day here in Bern. And uh, spring has certainly sprung, and we have some very special guests today. We have uh, Mark Morrison-Reed, who's an author, who's written about uh, a number of things, but we're going to talk about today the African-American experience in Switzerland, and we're going to talk... Uh, about three writers. We're going to talk about Mark himself, his work. We're going to talk about James Baldwin, who lived in Switzerland in the 1950s. And then we're going to talk uh, and read selections from uh, Vincent Carter from the Burn Book. And we're very pleased to have uh, Vincent Carter's partner here, Lisa Lada Haas. So she'll be uh, reminiscing with us as well. So this is going to be a, uh, a really special show. I'm glad you're with us. And I want to thank uh, Yashko for sitting in for me uh, two weeks ago while I was in Scotland. This is the Blues Zeppelin. <laughs> When I was just a little white-eyed child Trying to beat the heat I saw that cool, clear water Running in the creek Well, I climbed up on the highest branch Of a tall pine tree She said, you better look before you leave. You might find yourself in way too deep. There may be danger that you can't see. You better look before you leave. When I got a little bit older, while well, I was talking with my best friend, I told her I had kissed a boy. See my big sister Well, maybe she can talk some sense She's in a world of trouble She's 
sister told us before you leave you might find yourself in way too deep there may be danger that you can't see you better look before you leave
This is uh, the Blues Zeppelin. Cause I can't get no mail 
can't get no mail There's blues in my bread box Cause my bread is gonna stay Detta with uh, Blues Everywhere I Go. Before that, a uh, brand new CD locally produced by uh, Baron Bluesman Marcus Giesen. That's the Marcus Giesen Blues Band with S. Troimley. And before that, started it off with a brand new CD off of Alligator Records. Brand new, I think it was released just last Monday, Marsha Ball. And uh, she was here a year ago as a guest on the Blue Zeppelin and also at the uh, Bern International Jazz Festival at the uh, Inner Enga. This is a brand new CD called Roadside Attractions, and the uh, cut that we heard was called Look Before You Leap. And I am very pleased to uh, welcome not only to Radio Raba in Bern, but Radio Laura in Zurich as well, uh, Mark Morrison-Reed, who uh, is an author, a educator, um, uh, a uh, reverend yes. as well. Yes. Welcome to uh, the Blues Zeppelin. Thank you, Mark. And uh, we're here to talk about, because you've been coming to Switzerland for a long time. Your first time was in the early 60s. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your experiences coming here. First, I mean, as an African-American, whether that's sort of the topic of the show, the African-American experience here in Switzerland, and talk about what brought you here and uh, so on. I, um, I, you have to imagine, I'm, I'm, I'm gray now, um, and I have very, very long hair, but you have to imagine a 13-year-old, quite skinny, big, dark glasses, um, short-cropped hair, arriving in Bern with his family, all six of us, my mother, father, and my three siblings, um, in July of 1962, father was a um, 
is a nuclear chemist and was at the University of Chicago and came to do a sabbatical year at the Physics Institute here at the University of Bern. And I was this gawky, naive 13-year-old off of Southside Chicago. And this, this was beyond anything I had imagined. Um, um, it was a place of wonder. So we got here on the 31st, and of course, on August, on the 1st of August, it's the Independence, Swiss Independence Day, and the sky exploded in front of me with fireworks. I mean, I was stunned. And my parents, we never had this kind of freedom in Southside Chicago. Mother was super protective but we got here and it was switzerland and we had bicycles and we got to ride to the bear pits and we got to swim in the r and we got to go up the gordon and we went to helvetia plots to the museums i mean we had a level of freedom that they would have never given us when we were kids in chicago and so in some sense despite the fact that i didn't like the swiss um i loved switzerland but I think that's changed over time. Yeah, yeah. now I love the Swiss, too. <laughs> and you're here. You brought some some uh, selections yeah. from various authors, uh, black American authors yeah. who spent time yes. in Switzerland. And yeah. the first one we decided to focus on was, was James Baldwin. Right. And I had not known that he had been here in the 50s. Right. Let's, so James Baldwin, for those who don't know, is a well-known um, writer, novelist, and essayist um, in the United States. And got a career start in the 40s and in the 50s. Um, probably Go Tell on the Mountain is his best-known work, although there are others, Fire Next Time, Notes of a Native Son. Um, he came to Leuchabad in the Upper Valis in ninth, summer of 1951. He had a friend. They had a chalet. They let him use it. He needed some quiet time to write. And he found it was cheap and very, very quiet. And so he came back again the winter of 52 and the winter of 53. And later in 53 in Harper's Magazine, um, a, an essay appeared. It was entitled Stranger in the Village, and it's about uh, his experience in, in, in uh, Leuchabad. And I just want just a little piece, half of a paragraph about his experience when he was here. All the physical characteristics of the Negro which had caused me in America a very different and almost forgotten pain were nothing less than miraculous or infernal in the eyes of the village people. Some thought my hair was the color of tar, that it had the texture of wire or the texture of cotton, and it was jocularly suggested that I might let it all grow long and make myself a winter coat. If I sat in the sun for more than five minutes, some daring creature was certain to come along and gingerly put his fingers on my hair, as though he was afraid of an electric shock, or put his hand on my hand, astonished that the color did not rub off. In all of this, in which it must be conceded, there was the charm of genuine wonder, and in which there was certainly no element of intentional unkindness. There was yet no suggestion that I was human." I was simply a living wonder. Thanks for that. Thanks for that reading. It's quite interesting. He came back a number of times, right? Three times. Three times altogether. And I think, actually, if I remember, he also came back. I think he did a presentation in Bern years later, after in the 60s sometimes, that I, a friend told me about. Yeah, it's remarkable. I actually got to hear him and meet him in 1985 when I was a 
a graduate student researcher at the University of Wisconsin. And as I understood, he was still living, he was still living in Europe. I think he was right, living still in, in France. Right, still in France. But he came back, and I think this was shortly before he passed, a couple of years before he passed away. Right. And was trying to impart some some knowledge and some sense of responsibility to uh, the mostly white audience in Madison, Wisconsin, about uh, affirmative action and about uh, slavery and and so on. Right. Well, you're in Madison, Wisconsin. Little, you know, right south of there, it's called Little Switzerland. Jane County is called Little Switzerland, and it has the, the, those qualities to it: um, the rolling hills, the dairy cattle, and I imagine there's a fair amount of Swiss there as well. So that's what he was doing, and he went kind of back and forth. But he, he died here, and he died in in France in his uh, whatever chalet, whatever he probably whatever you call it there. So. Um, Baldwin's fascinating, and and he leads up to the other person we want to talk about. Actually, another piece from Baldwin that I would like to do later um, that actually speaks to contemporary Switzerland. Um, But right then in 53, right then in 53, um, another African-American arrived in in Switzerland, in Bern more particularly, and his name was Vincent O. Carter. And he had actually, he had been a G.I., He'd gone back to the States, he'd gone to school, and he came back, came to Europe to be a writer, as Baldwin had in 47, as Richard Wright had in 40, the year before. Um, and he went to Paris, and what should I say, he d- d- didn't like it, wasn't at home in Paris. And then he went to Amsterdam, and then he went to Munich, and then he, and somehow... And maybe Lisa Luck can tell us how he ended up in in Bern. So, Mash, we can hand it over. Yeah, absolutely. It's a a, a second pleasure to have uh, Lisa Lotahaz here with us today. And you're you're going to speak English or Brunduch. Okay. Whatever you like is fine. Just I'm so happy you're here with us today. Come a little bit closer to the okay. microphone. Okay. There you go. Okay. Yeah, he came to Bern practically only to stay one or three, one or two days, because he wanted, from Bern, he wanted to go back to Germany, in fact. And when he tried to find a room in Bern, he wanted to have a hotel room. And at this time, it was a festival, but I forgot, 500 years of Bern or 300? I don't know, a big festival with Umzüge and on music and so. And naturally, all the rooms were very, were um, gebucht. So he could not find a room. And for him, it was, okay, it's the same like in America. I'm black, I cannot get a room. And then um, friends of him said, no, you can stay with us two days. And after this big festival is over, you will find a room. So he did, and actually, when all the tourists and all the people, visitors went, he found a room, and it was the room in the Adler Hotel and the Junkengasse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, he had friends here before, when he first arrived, or these are friends Not that friends, he... friends, but, you know, friends of friends of friends, and they told him, perhaps in America or in Paris, you can go and see them. So they really offered him to stay a night, and in the day afterwards, he found a room. And he thought, okay, now I have a room. I will look how it is in Bern. And he stayed for 
Over 30 years. Almost 30 years. I mean... That's astounding. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you became one of the uh, more important reasons, I assume, for him to stay. No, no. I didn't meet him then when he came. 53, uh, I didn't meet him. I just heard in town is a black man. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, because really, at this time, probably a few diplomats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. A few. Maybe could be. But, I mean, the Italian were the strangers, and for us, but a black man. And after time, I saw him even sitting on the grotto, you know, the marketplace. And he was sitting there, I remember, very quietly with his pipe. And I thought, oh, he's a good-looking man, interesting. <laughs> and so. But then I also heard, um, yes, he had a lot of friends and so. And he met a woman in Bern with whom he lived for five years. And after five years, they parted, and he moved to the Niedergestalten. And at this time, I get um, a job at so-called Radio Rediffusion, called at this time Radibus. And they asked me if I speak English and said, no, I don't speak English. They said, you have to, because you have to present records. So I thought, that's a good idea. I go to this black man, ask him if he give me English lessons. And so I went to him, and he gave me English lessons. And what was very, very for me interesting, when I go in a room, often I look the books, or the Schallplatten, at this time we had Schallplatten. And so I saw he had Schallplatten, which no of my friend had, Eric Satie, Stravinsky, Poulenc, he had books, he had even Ravi Shankar. And I thought, wow, what, who is this man? Why, he's a black man from Kansas City. Why he know all these things? And I was very interested, and soon I found out. Um, he, in fact, he knew a lot more about European culture and art than my friends from my age and my town. And actually, I was fascinated. So, um, because the Café du Commerce was just next our studios, where I have to work every evening till 10, 11 o'clock, and afterwards we met in the Café du Commerce, and so it started all again. Wow. All wow. Again. What, what was the impetus for him to write a book about his time in Bern, called The Bern Book, by the way? I think he had the need to explain, to, to, to find out... Yeah, yeah. What happens to me here? What really he felt really as the single black man in Bern, because he had no connection with other black men or so, and he just wanted to find out what happens to me. And anyhow, he was always writing. He told me that he was writing while he was in school in university, just Tagebücher. He was writing always. He was writing. He talks about, um, actually, the, the, the first scene in this is someone's kind of grilling him about why he's here. And, and, and it's, there's an interesting tie-in to being with Andrabe. He, um, and I'll, let's see where I'm going to go. I'm going to start here. Um, but I don't have anything. He's talking about what he's writing. Nothing much. One story. Once I published a little story, not very good, in, in Annabelle. Yeah. Where? In Annabelle, last year, 
detective story? No, it was a love story. Oh, well, not exactly a love story, but it had love in it. What? Oh, it was about a white girl and a Negro boy, and they were in college together. American democracy? I breathed deeply. I've, I've done a few radio programs. Where? Radio Ben. When? So that was that. Uh, so he's, I, I guess he's been on here in some earlier version of Radio Ben. Um, then, but then here's the other piece. And this is, the, he calls this the foundation shattering question. And I think why he wrote the book. But why? And this is the question they, he dreaded having, hearing. But why? I have to go, I say, trying to divert the conversation. I wiggle in my chair. I look desperately this way and that. But why? Waiter, waiter. But why? Why what? Why did you come to Bern? Are we, gonna, are we going to be able to answer that question through time? Do you know, do you think it was, it was simply by chance? Or this was really, it was, it was meant for him to come to Bern? Absolutely, because the development he did, this, his human development could not, um, <laughs> that nicht stattgefunden in America. He had to go away from his, he loved his family, he loved his father and his mother, but he had to become a stranger in a strange land to find himself. I think that is. You know, it's funny. Val Linegar was on this program a couple of weeks ago, the Swiss bluesman who went and now lives in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. And he also made the, the comment that you need to sometimes yeah. go away yeah. to have an objective look, not only from where you came from, but also maybe who you are, yeah. that when you're in a different culture, it's easier to um, distill the components yeah. of who you are than rather when you're in your... Yeah your home culture, let's say. Absolutely. We're going to come back, do some more discussion about Vincent and some more readings. But let's take a quick musical pause, and we'll come right back. If you're just joining us, this is um, another wonderful program. I'm very happy to have uh, both Mark Morrison-Reed with me today and Lisa Lotta-Haas talking about, at the moment, Vincent Carter, who uh, lived, wrote, painted. What else did he do here? He did a lot of things. He's a musician he as well. He started with a bamboo. Oh, he was so musical. He started with a bamboo flute and finally had a silver flute and tried to play Debussy. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to learn about that. St- stick around. This is the Blue Zeppelin on uh, Swiss Community Radio, Radio Raba in Bern, Radio Laura in Zurich. Travel. Down at a Texas roadhouse, it was on a Saturday night. I started 
smooth travel. Oh, God, it all. 
all of you. Leave you sad and lonely, broken hearted. Falling down. You called the rumbling, rolling, and I called her falling down. But nothing you Sometimes I wonder why, why do your love be so cold? Great Taj Mahal with uh, blues with a feeling. Before that, Smokin' Joe Kubek and Benoit King uh, from the Alligator Records 40th Anniversary Collection with Have Blues, Will Travel. And uh, Smokin' Joe Kubek and Benoit King will be appearing uh, Friday, uh, 8th, April, uh, 8th of April in Basel at the Sud House. That's uh, this Friday coming up. So if you like that, uh, Smokin' Joe Kubek, Benoit King at the Sud House in Basel. Um, here sitting with uh, Mark Morrison-Reed and Lisa Lotta Haas, at the moment talking about uh, Vincent O. Carter, who lived in Bern for some 30 years and made his way here. It was really a winding way. He didn't come to Bern directly. He went via Paris, Amsterdam, Munich, and really found eventually found a, a, a home here in Bern. And Mark, you want to do another passage yep. about uh, him finding a place to stay. Yep. Well, he, as Lise Lott said, he got here, stayed with friends, and then he moved into a hotel. It was the Adler Hotel on Gerechtigkeitsgasse. Yep. 
Um, and that was fine and very comfortable and fairly cheap, but he realized if he was going to stay, he had to find something cheaper. And so he, uh, he writes about looking for something cheaper and his frustration at not finding anything. And that's, I just want to read this passage. Why won't people give me a room? Because you're different was the English equivalent of what I think she said in Banduj, German, and French with the word of monosyllabic English thrown in here and there. It's racial prejudice, I objected. It's what? It's because they don't like Negroes. No, it's not that. It's just that people have never had an experience with a black man before, and they think Africans are Americans? dangerous. The girls are just simply afraid. There are many of them attracted to you and would like to be with you, probably if they had the courage. But I don't want to sleep with them. I simply want a room. That is, you get it. It's, it's ridiculous. That's wrong. Sleeping with them would be easier because if they if they rented a room, they would have to worry about the neighbors, what the neighbors would think. But if they slept with you, they could slip out at the back entrance after dark. They are afraid of everything, anything which is different from what they've known. If you had two heads, it would be the same. For me, too. I'm not a freak, I insisted a, li- a little heatedly, for I noticed that she moved back slightly when I unconsciously raised my voice. Her fingers trembled and she bit her lip nervously. You know what I mean, she replied apologetically. Well, I think so. You mean like a man with two heads? <laughs> yes. No, she explained, stammering now, her English stumbling into French. Suppose you were an Eskimo or an Indian. Well, I'd leave my seal or my buffalo outside, but I still needed a room. Be serious, she explained in perfect English, and I wondered to whom she had had the occasion to make that admonition. I am sorry, I replied, in a rage, becoming even more enraged because she didn't couldn't nor could anyone it seemed realize just how serious i was she didn't know how many doorbells i had rung nor how many silly questions i had answered besides there was one other thing which i shall interrupt this chapter to mention in a special chapter because it is so important to the appreciation of my state of mind at this time in capital letters everybody men women children Dogs, cats, and other animals, wild and domestic, looked at me all the time. And, you know, I was um, in India once, and I lost my way, and I came in a place where nobody spoke English. I, I was totally lost. And suddenly I saw all these eyes on me. And I mean, India, I was a little bit whiter than them. But at this moment, I suddenly thought, oh my God, now I understand what Vincent um, went through. Because he, he couldn't, you know, you can go in a crowd of people here and you are anonymous. You can, you can't, you can't verstecken. And he never could do that. Right. He was I must, right. That must be yep. really something. Yep. Eh? yep. Always these eyes staring at you. Yep. Even if they are not hostile, even if they are only curious, 
that's that's what no i couldn't hide that's what it was like so that's the other part you're i'm a gawky 13 year old and everybody all the time is staring at me and that was enraging actually at 13 um and puzzling um but and it's right. I mean, Vincent's here. We, we're both here. I mean, I've, he's been here nine years when I show up in 62. But we couldn't walk down the street without people staring. And, why, and sometimes their mouths would fall open or whole families would stop. I mean, they would stop and point at us as if we were animals or escaped from something. Or they would stop. I remember on Langasa, um, these people stopped and they, nega, nega, negali, negali. And, and it sounded like nigger, of course. You yeah, know, that's I mean, the, that's, that's the hard part. The first... Nigger is so near to nigger. Boy, and, and when, it, uh, when Vincent heard that for the first time, that was horrible. And we had really to explain, that's not the same. It's the German word, nigger for black man. Right. And it was shocking. I remember my mother dragging us d- down Bubenbergplatz because my brother and I were ready to fight because someone called us a nigger. And she had us both in our hands and she was walking the other direction trying to explain to us that we were just exotic. But tell me something. <laughs> yes. Uh, this was the one side. Um, but on the other side, I also felt that a lot of children and grow-up people, there was also an admini- uh, eine Bewunderung. Yes. He was also somebody very special. Yes. And fi- later on, people told me when they were grown up, you know, when I was a little boy, oh, I saw Vincent in the Hallebad, or I saw Vincent walking through the street singing something. And I was so... Um, this was no more... Um, Ablehnung oder Neugier, es war something special. He was somebody really special. And and that and that's the mixture. That yeah, the mixture is that, that I, I, I was some, I felt like something special, yeah. and yet they were staring all the time. I had this yeah. crazy story. So the end of the, my first year here, we had borrowed sleds, slitten from a friend of mine, and I had to return it. And so I took the bus, and 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 everybody was. It's the summer. I'm in shorts, and I'm there with a sled, and everybody, of course, is staring at this <laughs> with me. And so I'm walking across this field to return it and his father's coming along with his two sons and he points at me and says Shama das nega schnei looking looking for snow I'm looking for snow I don't know any better, he says. And, and, and I said, so I say, you know, I mean, my Swiss German was very limited, but I actually processed, and I cracked up. At that point, I, you know, it was just so hilarious that he thought I was actually looking for so in August. Lisa Lotte, I want to ask you a question. Do you think it was therapeutic for Vincent that he was able to write about this in, in, in a lighthearted way? Absolutely. I'm... I'm absolutely sure. Through writing, he 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 get through all this and finally get to this point. I told you before that for him it was very very important to come to this point where he could say, finally, I have to stop um, to put alles Unglück auf meine schwarze Haut zu schieben. I can't do that anymore. Now I have to be a human, um, and I must let go of this. 
Wow. I don't know how many years he worked on this, but right. I think this was a culmination point in his life. Ich kann nicht mehr meine schwarze Haut für mein Unglück yeah. Schuld geben. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yes. And I've and I've and I so I wrote a book too, which we'll talk about later. But this this piece of this the 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 victim, the feeling that I'm the victim of my skin, and working through that and letting it go because it didn't serve him well. No. And I came to learn it didn't serve me well either. That you have to let it go and be move beyond that to be human and not let others' perceptions of you control your life and control your feelings. And and he grew beyond that in this process, and that's. And was so a blessing, ultimately, to have to grow through it. Yeah, and you know what is very interesting that, I think it's even in the burn book, that he suddenly find out that we are not separate beings. Right. And at this time, nobody spo spoke about this. There were, right. were nothing about them, wie heute, wo jeder sagt, alles gehört zusammen. But for him, this was such a big thing. I'm not we are not different. Right. Finally, we are from the same stuff or the same material. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. And yeah. that was very important. You me. spent you spent the betters together with Vincent, is that right? Twenty-one years. Twenty-one years, and over that time, you saw a transformation. He came to actually oh. love Bern and love the people of oh, Bern. Oh yeah, oh yes. You know, he went twice. He went back to Kansas City once when his father died. And once, when his mother was ill, he stayed out for two months till she died. And when he came back, he, that was very beautiful. He said, now I know Bern is my home, absolutely. So it was very clear for him. And he loved the people. He, he had really a deep love for people. And actually, when they knew him more, because he gave English lessons at the Micro Club Schule, and so many people over the years through the whole society passed through his lessons, and he sang with them spirituals, and he even tried to make them meditate, and he did a lot of strange things, <laughs> and they liked it. And some people stayed with him for 15 years, you know, and it was really then... Uh, Deep love, really. If you're just joining us, this is a, a really nice program today with Mark Morrison-Reed and Lisa Lotta Haas talking now a little bit about the life and writings of Vincent Carter, who lived in Bern for some 30 years. And you were telling me um, he also found some spirituality, new, a new spirituality yeah. in his later life. Yes. Um, he, he started to meditate after a book he found from Vivekananda and then uh, it's a long story, had difficulties and finally he met an uh, Indian master Swami Muktananda and then 74 we went for the first time to India and there he started really um, it was like the second half of his life here. He started to have meditation groups and yeah, he, I think he really found what he always was looking for. You know, there is a pictures from him when he was a baby, I think not even a year old, with big eyes, with a knowledge in it. 
And the last photos before he died, I thought, wow, this big eyes, now they really know it. He knew it as a baby, but he had to go through all this to finally really know what he knew all the time since, since I don't know, eternities. I'll ask you, what do you think he's remembered? How is he remembered here in Bern? Oh, very well. A young man told me not so long ago, he said, you know, I was a little boy when I saw Vincent in a cave day, swimming there or um, in the town or so. And when I grew up and went up road, every time I went, came back to Bern, my first visit was to go to Vincent at the Nickelgestalden, looking, is it still in his old flat? Is this two little rooms? Is he still in his old pullover? And when it was like that, the world for me was okay. Wow. That wow. Was, these things happened wow. very often that people tell me that. Or a woman said, you know, Vincent once said this in the English lesson. I never forgot this sentence. Till my whole life, he um, had sehr viele Leute berührt. Really. Touched a lot of people. He touched a lot of people. And yes, he had a lot really then of good friends. And um, yeah, it, he was at home here in Bern, really. And he never wanted to go. I had really to, oh, I had to push him to take once a vacation, perhaps in Italy for two weeks. He wanted to go home immediately. I, I don't know, he liked to be here. <laughs> he missed the Bernese, even in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and can I tell another story? Yeah, Something of course. Something came in my mind. When we first went to Morton, to this little old town, mm -hmm. there was a big ringmauer, a big wall with stairs, so from the Middle Age. And we went there. And suddenly Vincent stayed and said, I know these stairs. I know this wall. I know this place. I said, huh? We are here for the first time, Vincent. I know this place. And then he went up the stairs and went around. So now you can say it's, uh, I don't know, flashback or something. I, s I really think that Vincent, perhaps in other lives, was in Europe because he knew so much about Europe art, much more than my Swiss friends. He spoke very early with, me, with French um, writers, Baudelaire, Verlaine, and I thought, but this man is from Kansas City, from the slums, slums in Kansas City. His parents were 15 when he was born, poor. Where he knows all these things? Yeah, that's a nice it story. It sounds perhaps strange, but that's what I believe. Believe it or not, I mean. Mark, we're going to come back and talk about your life in Switzerland. You've done quite a bit of writing as well. We're going to take another musical break. But before I do that, a lot of this resonates with your experiences here as well. Oh, you see me shaking my head. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I have to have that experience. I have 
of standing out, of having good friends, of finally cutting through the racial stuff to make. Uh, I have to. I mean, I've been here almost 40. It's going to be 49 years, and outside of my family, the people I've known longest in my life are here, and it's. I, you hear me tearing up. Whenever I leave tomorrow, whenever I leave, it's a difficult time for me. When I had to say goodbye to them yesterday, it's always a difficult time for me. It's not about race. These are, these are people that I love and love me. We're going to come back after a musical break. This is uh, the Blue Zeppelin on Radio Raba and Burn, Radio Laura in Zurich.
now in hour number two of uh, Blue Zeppelin here on a beautiful, absolutely spring-like, summer-like Sunday afternoon in Bern. My name is Mark Stenzler. The name of the show is uh, The Blues Zeppelin, and uh, I am very privileged to be on Radio Raba, Radio Laura, Swiss Community Radio, and I'd like to ask you if you like the programming you're hearing, not just my show, but all the shows, all the programs here on Swiss Community Radio, please become a member of Radio Raba at www.raba.ch, or you can go to www.lore.ch in Zurich and support non-commercial community radio. It's radio from the heart and uh, for the mind. And uh, I'm here uh, for the next hour again with Mark Morrison-Reed and Lisa Lotta-Haas and uh, talking about the African-American experience, if if one can even say that. I think we're just looking at... Uh, three different writers who happened to spend time in Switzerland, black American writers who spent time in Switzerland and trying to understand their perspective. And uh, Mark, you've been here for almost, was it 50 years? Close to 50 years since I first arrived, yeah. And uh, you've been, you came here originally as a, as a young well, student? Yeah I, sh- yeah, I guess we should have explained that. Um, I'm I first came, my father was on sabbatical. He's a chemist, was at the university here. They returned home after 14 months, and I stayed um, in Switzerland, in the Berner Oberland, in a school called École de Humanité, which is in, on the Hosleyberg in, in Golden. 
And I stayed there for another two years, returned to Chicago at 65 when I was 16, then returned to Switzerland in 1971, taught at the school um, for another two years in 73, spent a year then in Salzburg teaching, went back to the States, um, returned in 1987 with my own family, again taught at the school, uh, the École de Humanité on the Hasliberg, and then have returned periodically since. I've been back in 98, 2004, 2009, 2010, and here we are, 2011. Um, and I will be back again next year in March, 2012. God when did you become a writer? Actually, I, funny, I found my my first article uh, was in seventh grade. Um, I won the Negro Hissy Essay Contest at my grade school, and I still got it was in the Neighborhood Bulletin. So that that was my first published piece. Um, I, it's a very crinkly old piece of paper, but I've still got it. Um, I'm, I'm a parish minister, or was for many years, and as a minister, you have to write. And so I've I've written um, probably the, my major major first major piece was my doctoral thesis, which was entitled Black Pioneers in a White Denomination, and it was the exploration of the experience of African Americans within Unitarian Universalism, which is a liberal um, religious faith that comes out of, but has left behind the Protestant tradition, came out of the Radical Reformation. That actually actually has well. That's a whole other story. We could talk about the Radical Reformation in Switzerland, but I, maybe we should do that some other time. But it does have um, some critical pieces of it happened in Basel um, with a man named Michael Servetus, who wrote a book called "On the Errors of the Trinity," and with Sebastian Castellio, who defended uh, freedom of conscience. So, but coming, I was going to jump back and so there's a couple of things i want to talk about later we'll kind of talk about my we'll move forward progressively but i was going to go back to when i was a kid here and this will um one of the things that happened i was coming i was at the university i was going i was in the bonhof and a man came up to me and this conversation happened once it happened a dozen times said, where are you from i said chicago he said chicago in africa i said no chicago in america he said south america i said no north america he said Ach so, Chicago, Al Capone. So I, I cracked up, ran home, and told my parents about this conversation. Um, so you'll you'll see this conversation. I'm gonna. This is a, what happened to me after nine months in Switzerland. I'm gonna read this, and there's two names you need to know. The captain is my great great grandfather. He had a he had a boat. He sailed on the boat on the Potomac River, and the general was my great-grandmother, and the name was not a mistake. Mark, before you read this, give yes. us a year. When Around when was this? Um, this nah, okay, this is spring 1963. And you are a young man at that I'm time. I'm 13 going on 14. Okay. Okay. After nine months in Switzerland, the new had become familiar and the offensive ordinary. Inquisitive stares became everyday events, as did questions about where I came from and what had brought my family to Bern. Since I never took into account what white people saw when they looked at me, I answered the question that was asked rather than the one that was camouflaged for the sake of politeness. What are you, a Negro, doing here? 
Their mistaken beliefs about black ability and social status blinded them to the truth, but remained unspoken, while my own naivete hid the same truth for me. My family landed in Switzerland because the captain had built a one-room schoolhouse. The general had insisted all her children graduate from high school, and my father dared to dream of becoming a scientist. Our success came from taking advantage of unusual opportunities, matching great expectations with high achievement, persistent efforts across generations, and a faith in education that made school a necessity rather than an option. This was the answer to the question I was never directly asked. I misunderstood the coded conversation. I thought people were expressing honest curiosity, and certainly some were, but I hadn't learned to distinguish curiosity from incredulity. How naive I was, open, quick to smile, eager to please, trained to be polite. Do you come out of Africa, the Swiss would ask. That's what having dark skin, broad features, and curly hair meant, the dark continent. No, Chicago, I replied, and the gambit began once again. Now, I could have said yes, Africa, yes, and perhaps I should have. I knew enough about my mother's heritage to know that we came from Sierra Leone. But in 1963, I wasn't proud to claim Africa as my birthright. I simply said, Chicago. Ach, so, the Swiss would reply, while the Americans would say, with the army. Everybody knew there are lots of colored GIs. No, my dad's at the university. Oh, your father's a student? Uh, no. Now, this, this second contradiction left them confounded. So what does your father do at the university? He's a scientist. Oh, what kind? A chemist. Stymied, they would pursue another tact. Do you like Switzerland? <laughs> They probably didn't care. They really were trying to figure out how the improbable had occurred. From a white American point of view, my family's presence was an enigma. Negro families didn't live in Europe, and colored men didn't work as scientists. Negroes had a place in society, and we were living above it. A real conversation, rather than a polite one, would have exposed this prejudice, and a truly canted exchange would have bared a deeper truth. In America, you can be a complete loser and still be redeemed by an accident of birth, the unearned virtue of being white. This was also true in Switzerland. Every Swiss, no matter how remote the valley they lived in, knew without reflection that their culture and race was superior to everything black. That is what racism does for white people. Their preeminence is buttressed by their belief in black ignobility. That's a really nice, that's a really good passage. And what struck me was that there's a, a very strong resonance from the Burn book at the beginning of the mm -hmm. book when the man's asking him, well, what are you doing here? And it was around the same time, I guess. So I guess it, chronologically, this was around the same period. Within, yeah, within eight years or less. Yeah. So, yeah, that. <laughs> so, Mark, I have to ask you, what's. What's changed? Yeah, so I was uh, I was working in Basel, um, and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about this. So I'm, one of the reasons I'm here is there's a new Unitarian Universalist congregation in Basel that I've been helping uh, by internet and converse, um, 
um, on the phone to help begin. And I, just a brief word about the tradition I grew up in. Um, Unitarian means oneness of God. Universalism means everyone is saved. But it's become a rather humanistic, wide open, tolerant, embracing faith um, that essentially affirms our oneness as people and our in, inherent the dignity of every person. Um, and so, so I've been here working with them. And if you're more interested in that, it's www.uubasel.org. www.uubasel.org. In any case, I was here with them. Um, I was headed, after um, preaching there and doing a workshop, I was headed back to the Hosleyberg. And I was on the train from Alton to, to Lucerne. There's this young African. And he's making eyes at me. And I had work to do. I had, I, was, I had a lot of work to do. And so I was trying to concentrate on what I was doing. And he kept looking. I knew he wanted to have a conversation. and I, But I dropped something. And he very helpfully pointed it out to me. And then when I got off, he got off the train with me. And we walked along. And he told me he's from Gambia. And he's 23. And he's been here for two years. And he's a student. And, and we had a nice conversation. He asked where I was from. And I didn't think he meant. Canada. I, he, I think he wanted to know originally where I was from. And so I told him my family was from Sierra Leone originally. I got on the next train <laughs> to go from, from Lutzan to, to Brunig. You know, it goes through Lungen, Giesville. And in um, Giesville, this young African gets on. <laughs> he sits down. He's making eyes at me again. And I think for them, it's probably unusual to see someone that's this, this, as old as I am with this gray hair. And this time I didn't. I said, okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to work. I'm just, I, so I, I put my hand on the seat next to me and he got up. And, and he was from Gambia. And he works for in a Becherai, and he has a white Swiss wife, and he showed me the pictures of his, he's been here for nine years, he's 29 now, showing pictures of their daughter who's three, and that could not have happened. That could not have happened um, when I was here in the 60s or the 70s. Um, I was I, I, so I was here 18 months ago, I have g- good friends on the Hosleyberg, and my friend was married to an African-American from Chicago, and um, they're separated now, but they have three kids. And I was there when their, her son, uh, Christoph, came home from his first week in the Army. And his, and his every, he's every but, bit a Swiss with brown skin, but he speaks bandage. He's doing his duty for his company. He's an electrician. I mean, he's every bit as Swiss as anybody else here. That could not have happened. Either in the either in the sixties or the seventies, and that's the kind of change I see that it's actually coming quite. You can't go any place in this country and not see someone of color, and and the, and they'll be just as Swiss as anybody else you see. That's the reality. It's going to be more and more the reality. Swiss people are out all over the world. They don't stay here. You know that, and they go back and they bring their partners back and they bring their children back. You are headed to Switzerland's headed to a multicultural society. There's no if ands but about it and switzerland actually knows how to be a multicultural society because it does have the french the italian the um, the romance and the german they already know how to do it they just have to figure out that they're going to have to do it again and this is going to be a little different um but the ability is here the process is here and the process is playing out as we watch it all the time i'm very uh very pleased by your 
your optimism. I think that's uh, that's a nice um, uh, perception to have. Yeah, well, that is my and and if, if we talk politics, that's that's my pay. Um, it's it's I I there's a piece of me when I have an open heart, so that they're trying to hold on to something that they treasure in Switzerland, and they're, they're, they're and they're scared because Switzerland can't even with the mountains can't keep the world out any longer. The world has come to Switzerland, and 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 in that fear they've mistaken racial differences and cultural difference for something threatening rather than something that brings new possibilities um and it's and it's fear-based but i understand that there is there are good qualities that that are swiss and and it's and if, if they could have that conversation about what it is we want to hold on to what it is we treasure what are we inviting them in into and what can we gain in this interaction then it becomes a different conversation and it's not so angry it's not so defensive and we they we will i would say we switzerland will move forward with it and i i'm confident i'm i'm naturally optimistic but having watched switzerland over 50 years and i start with the experience of baldwin and 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 um and vincent carter and my own to where we've come through it was that was all unimaginable 50 years ago lisa lotta you've seen number of changes since the time that you were with with vincent here oh yes i mean now you see mixed couple everywhere you know once when I wanted to go with Vincent back to visit his hometown and so, he didn't want, and at the beginning I could not find out why. And later on he told me, you know, when I go with you home back, we cannot go together in a hotel. And I said, what? I was rather naive uh, because that was so... And he said, I know you, you would just get so mad or do something. We can't do that. And then later on, we went to New York and, and California. And so no problem. And also here, I saw now, we, as you said, all these children who speak perfectly Berndeutsch. And sometimes they are Swissiger than we Swiss. <laughs> I saw that too. Very funny. So I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's it's anyhow the only thing we can do. Not to part, but come together. You know? Mark, if we do a musical break, can we come back and you'll do some more reading from your book? Plug the book. It's called In Between. Right. In Between, Memoir of an Immigration Baby. We'll talk a little bit more about that, where you might be able to get it, too. Great. This is a a wonderful edition of the Blue Zeppelin, and I hope that uh, as you're listening to this, you're enjoying it as much as as I am taking pleasure in it. This is uh, Swiss Community Radio, Radio Raba in Bern, Radio Laura in Zurich.
If dreams were thunder, blinding world's desire, this old house would have burned down oh, a long time ago.
that song that's a uh, susan tedeschi with uh, angel from montgomery before that roy buchanan with uh, delbert mcclinton with uh, you can't judge a book by its cover and we're going to go back to some great more conversation and readings with mark morrison reed and lisa lotta haas but first i want to tell you give you a few program notes and tell you what's happening in Bern with uh, upcoming concerts first of all uh, next sunday uh, Dieter Siegrist, who normally does uh, Best Of, will be on a well-deserved uh, holiday vacation. So I'll be sitting in and I'll be doing a uh, Best Of, the traditional, every, do this every spring. We're going to play Motown for two hours to uh, celebrate celebrate spring. And on the 17th, we're going to be broadcasting live at the Spielplattenborsa, the uh, record trading uh, event at the Corsal in Bern. I'll be there, and I think uh, we're going to have some special musical guests. I think uh, Matt Callahan and maybe Yvonne Moore might be showing up there. I think there's going to be some other people from Raba. I know uh, uh, Val from uh, Groove Express is going to be there. I think some people from uh, some of the other shows. So uh, come on out and say hello to us. That's going to be, I think, for, it starts early in the morning, but we're going to be there live, I think, from noon till 5. That's on the 17th of April, and telling you about what's coming up uh, with concerts tonight at the uh, Prager Turnhalle. There is a uh, jazz a jazz uh, concert with a group called Huntsville, a Norwegian band, a Norwegian uh, group, I should say, that is a mixture of jazz, country music, and Indian raga. So this is going to be quite a uh, quite a special program, and that begins tonight at uh, eight thirty, Halby Nooney at the. Uh, at the Tornhalle, right near the Bonhof in Bern. Coming up at the Mulla Hunziker in the next uh, weeks, on Wednesday, the 6th of April, Max Lasser and Das Oberland Orchestra will be there. That's uh, a little bit Alpen music, but maybe a little blues uh, thrown in. Then, uh, this is going to be great, on Friday, the 8th of April, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band from uh, New Orleans will be performing there. And on the 15th of April, Bernard Allison, uh, great Chicago blues funk uh, guitarist and band, will be playing at the Mully. And uh, one more uh, note, on the 16th of April, Saturday, Jimmy Johnson, Sam Burkhardt, and uh, Guy King blues band, also with the Miller Anderson blues band, featuring the best of Chicago and Houston blues, so once again, there's great stuff in Bern. You don't even have to go to the big city one hour to the east to uh, to hear great stuff. Anyway, that's the uh, tips, and that's what's happening. Uh, uh, coming up, some program notes on Raba, and now we're going to go back. Uh, Mark Morrison Reed. Mark, tell me a little bit about the book. Uh, when when did you finish? How old is that book? Uh, well, it's it just came out in 2000. We should talk about it. it just came out in 2009. 
Um, but it started here in Switzerland in 1987. I was here with my wife and two children. We were teaching at the Ecole de Humanité in the Golden Hosleyberg, and a flyer came around from Diana Dick, who started um, had not started Bergley Books at that time, but was just beginning. She was looking for stories from expatriates who'd spent significant time in Switzerland. And I had this mimeograph sheet, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I've got some interesting stories as a black teenager growing up in, 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 in Bern and Hosleyberg. Um, but being a father of two young children, and we were only here for six months, we went back, and I looked at it, and I said, well, i got stories, but I don't have any time. And I wrote her and said, well, i got stories, and she wrote back begging me. And so I wrote a story, um, and it appeared in Ticking Along with the Swiss. I think probably a lot of you have seen Ticking Along with the Swiss. Um, among the other stories, Roger Bonner's about appearing here at 18 and getting drafted and um and mine was called fern within and that was the beginning that was 1987 it was just 13 or 14 pages and i was hooked what was that story what was that original story it about? was just it was by the first three years i was here it just was my adolescence from the age of 13 to 16 spent first in Bern and then going to the school in um in in the hosleyberg i and Ecole de Maite is this wonderful school, ungraded, com- culturally completely mixed, where we determine we live together as a community. We work together as a community. We make community decisions um, where you determine your own classes, where it is ungraded, where we spend significant amounts of time in nature, in drama, in hiking, in arts and crafts, where the students do the large share of the community work in terms of washing dishes, chopping wood. Um, it's it's a it's a wonderful school founded originally. Actually, I was just back last June for its hundredth anniversary. It was founded in Germany, in the Oldenwald in nineteen ten, and we had our hundredth anniversary. And um, and and if you want to know more about it, you can go to www.ecole.ch. Says e c o l e ecole.ch. Most of the families and students there are people who are originally from abroad, or many mostly. Uh, well, that's has changed. When I was first there, there was substantial amounts of um, Americans and English and Dutch, um, and over time. It has become more and more Swiss. Like I think when I was first there, it might have been thirty-five or forty percent Swiss. Now it's probably sixty-five or seventy percent Swiss. But it is more mixed than ever, because of what we were talking about before, which there's so many Swiss kids that come out of mixed marriages and out of other cultures. You you can't imagine the variety of kids that you got there, and a lot of them have Swiss backgrounds of one sort or the other. Um, so, in any case, at 87, that's, that's where it got started, and I kept worked on it for 20 years. And then I was here in 2004, and, and while I was here, I decided that I, would st- I, I, I was burned out on being a parish minister. And so I stopped being a parish minister and actually got down to seriously writing the book. And that's why then it appeared in 2008. Um, and it's called In Between Memoir of an Integration Baby. And the interesting thing from the Swiss point of view is it's me, it's me going back and forth from the U.S. to Switzerland, these, these movements, um, in this being here in the 60s, going back, during the civil rights movement, me being here in the seventies, being them being going back to the Black Power movement, um, then me coming back again in the eighties, and it's this movement between Switzerland and the U.S. and me watching both of them, um, and how the societies were unfolding, and so the piece I wanted. Oh, 
I want to say a little bit of um, uh, Bergler Books, which closed in January, um, had it, but doesn't. The, the other place I think has it is Off the Shelf in Geneva. And I think if you probably go to Amazon UK, you can find it. The publisher is Skinner House. Um, that's the publisher of the Unitarian Universe Association. And if you go to their bookstore, um, or if you go to uua.org, um, you'll be able to find it in the bookstore there. But we should have I, organized a reading at Stauffacher. Or you, you, you don't want me to talk about Stauffachers or how many times I've approached them. They would not be happy. <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll change the topic <laughs> okay. then. I, I do want to ask you, because you talk about going between Switzerland and, and, and the U.S., and but now you live in Canada. Can yes. I ask you? Do you mind me asking you a personal question? Is that is that by choice? I mean, by choice. My wife is uh, Anglo-Canadian. Um, we met in theological school in nineteen boom, boom, seventy-five, and we moved there in nineteen eighty-eight. I hold dual citizenship. Our children hold dual citizenship. And for me, um, it has turned out to be a comfortable space. It um, it, it it has some of the European qualities. It has some of the humanizing qualities. Um, that I experienced here, and it has a huge ethnic communities. Huge. It's got to be one of the most multicultural cities in the world. Um, and it's on along the Great Lakes. So in, in some sense, it feels like I'm between Chicago, where I grew up, and Europe. And, and it's a fairly comfortable space for me to inhabit. It's also got a great music scene as well. Toronto is known for being a, a very cultural, a right. terrific cultural and, place. And a great theater scene as well. And a great food scene. I mean, you've got you've got there's a half million people from the Indian subcontinent. I mean, it is stunning the mixture. And, and I've stopped asking my kids what their friends are. I mean, they just roll at my eyes at me, and they roll their eyes like, "Dad, grow up." Um, the, the the mixture of their friends is just uh, it's un- one they they don't pay attention, but they're from everywhere, um, and that's become that's kind of the norm in Toronto now. Um, so I just don't ask any longer. <laughs> so you're going to read something else for us? I'd be very yeah, privileged. Yeah, well, do one that. of these these back and forth for me is all one of the questions has always been to stay, or to stay here or go back, and and so this is me making that decision in 1973. So at this point, I'm 24. I'm back again, and I'm at this point of decision: do I stay in Switzerland or do I go back um, to to the U.S. In this case. Uh, Fipu is uh, is my roommate. He's Swiss, uh, and we're living in Rygoldsville, but he's a banner, just for you folks to hear. I just want you to know that. And the other person I'm going to talk about, e. W.E.B. Du Bois, um, he's probably the foremost African-American intellectual of the, of the last, first half of the last century. Fipu and his friends kept asking what it was like to be black in America and why I would go back to such an awful place. I had a strong desire to remain in Switzerland, but I also felt the pull to return home. I didn't know what to do. This is a quote. One ever feels his two-ness, W.E.B. Du Bois writes, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body, he writes. When years later I discovered this description of the American Negro, I saw that the boys had spoken to my condition. My blackness included a feeling that I resisted. I was indeed an American. I was indeed an American, and I felt I had a duty 
that was best met there. Besides, I would never be Swiss. Their insular society would never really let me be. No matter how hard I tried, I would remain a sideshow, perhaps no longer a freak to gawk at, but still a curiosity without any real consequence. With the rise of the anti-immigration party leader James Forzenbach and his xenophobic rantings, I could feel Switzerland becoming less hospitable to people like me. I could not escape racism, but it seemed to me that I might make some difference in America. Besides, if I was serious about ministry, perhaps it made time it was time to go home. I I've changed my position a bit since then. <laughs> Um, I think the primary thing, and I think this is what Vince, I'm 24 when I wrote, write about this, um, the primary place where you have to find home is in yourself. And then I have to find a way to be at home, whether I'm in Chicago or Toronto or the Banner Oberland or in Bern or an ashram in India. It doesn't, that should not matter. Um, the, the, the only sure, sure place is coming to terms with my life and myself and my sp- spiritual quest, which is not unrelated to the larger society or my responsibility to it. That in fact, if once you go deep enough, you actually see how intimate and immediate your connections to others are, and you're actually drawn to try and make a difference in the world. Um, and 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 th- that's been my experience. That I the go the more I go deeply into myself, the more connected I feel to others. The more connected uh, connected I feel to others, the more that draws action out of me to try and change the world, to make it a fair, more just, sustainable society. So, um, yeah, that's where I've come to over the time. But I don't think that's very far from where Vince ended up either. In his life, I mean, realizing that he needed to be at home in himself. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I thought just when you was talking, if you are home in yourself, then you can live everywhere. Right. No? Then no, no barrier, no problems, because you live inside. But it's a long traveling. It's a long... You have to make your own experiences and you have to suffer and you have to pay the price. And I think Vincent paid the price. You know, even when he got cancer at the end of his life, I thought, why he? Why he must have cancer? And um, they say that sometimes you have cancer because you have to swallow so much things you can, um, especially he had a Speiseröhre cancer. And I was thinking about this and uh, I thought, yes, he, he had a good life, he could really deal with all, all these things, but there were all the time a little things which were too much to swallow. Right. And on the other hand, I must say, it could be a horrible end because it's a really a terrible illness, but it was so much grace in his dying. I mean, the evening before he died, he said, come on, let's make a little tour on the river Are, 
And then he came back and he said, come on, let's dance a little bit. And in the morning he was no more here. I mean, there's so much grace. And once when friend asked him, how you feel? He said, you know, outside, it's not so well. But inside, it's just perfect. So he could go all the time in a place where everything was all right. But he had to learn that. I mean, imagine from, I always was thinking, Kansas City, slum. He was living in midst of robbery, of alcohol, of drugs. And it was the depression time, you know, 24, when he was born. And so many of his school boys died on the street. And he went to the museums, looking art pictures. Why this child? His parents were 15. They could hardly speak. Well, I mean, they were not cultivated people. They were wonderful people with big heart. And it's so amazing what he did. And even when he was a little child, once he said to his mother, you know, when I'm grown up, I will be the president of the United States. And his wonderful mother said, sure, Vincent, sure. And I will do everything that you can do that. I mean, and we would never dream that it's so sad that he could not um, be at, at this time. And um, now they have a black president. You could not imagine that in the 50s or 60s, even not in the 70s. And that is a big change. I mean... So perhaps the next pope will be a woman. That would be hey, a great Hey, that would be a big change. <laughs> <laughs> and I, we, maybe play another piece, but I, okay. I want to come back to that and because and, and, Baldwin has a very similar comment to Lise Lutz um, at the end of his book that's worth looking at. If we get one quick thing after piece. We're here for another uh, 15 minutes. We're going to do a quick musical break and come back. And uh, Mark Morrison-Reed will... Be very generous and uh, do another passage reading for us from uh, James Baldwin. Um, I'm really enjoying this program, and I want to thank both of you. Uh, It's not over yet, but I still want to thank both of you for being here today. This is the Blue Zeppelin on uh, Radio Raba, Swiss Community Radio in Bern. Shine down 
started with James Baldwin's uh, piece from Stranger in the Village. It's nearly 60 years ago that he wrote that. And I want to actually, this is the entire last paragraph, and, and it has struck me over time that it, it's come to apply to Switzerland. The structure of the essay starts talking about Switzerland, and, and then halfway through he actually talks about the American experience of the black man. Um, but if you hear often when I say America, if you try to listen and hear Switzerland and see how this works, because I think that 60 years you can see that things have changed here. The time has come to realize that the interracial drama acted out on the American continent has not only created a new black man, it has created a new white man too. No road whatever will lead Americans back to the simplicity of the European village where white men still have the luxury of looking on me as a stranger. I am not really a stranger any longer for any American alive. One of the things that distinguishes Americans from other people is that no other people have ever been so deeply involved in the lives of black men and vice versa. This fact faced with all its implication can be seen as the history of the American Negro problem is not merely shameful. It is also something of an achievement for even when the worst has been said, it must also be added that 
the perpetual challenge posed by this problem was always somehow perpetually met. It is precisely this black-white experience which may prove indispensable value to us in the world we face today. This world is white no longer, and it will never be white again. That's much of that applies to Switzerland. This Switzerland will never be white, whatever that means. Again, those days are over. It's a much richer, more textured, vibrant culture because of the people of color that have moved here. Um, and Switzerland can rise to, to, to meet that and, and profit and grow from that rather than shrink from it and try to keep it from hap- try to keep the impossible from happening. So I, I say that with, comp- not that it'll be easy, not that it won't be hard, not that it wasn't hard for me, not that it wasn't hard for Vincent, but that's the trajectory. So I, I want to thank you both. I'm, I'm, this is a real gift to get to meet you, Lisla. This is a real pleasure for me. I want to thank both of you, uh, Mark Morrison-Reed and Lisa Latahas, for coming and spending the last two hours with uh, not only me but all of you as well and uh, I, I, it feels good that we're making some progress That's uh, there's hope and that's a good thing we have about six minutes left we're going to come, by, come back to say the last goodbyes but I think this is an appropriate uh, piece to play right now this is uh, off the latest CD from the Holmes Brothers and it's called Feed My Soul this is the Blues Zeppelin